0: What's up and welcome back to Now Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined, as always, by my spooky co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, what's going on, man?
1: Spooky season in effect, sir. All this breaking news fitting of the times. How's it going?
0: It's going pretty good. Um, yeah, spooky season in effect, but also spooky or Spooktober, I guess I should say, coming to a close. However, I did not celebrate Spooktober this year. I didn't have a Halloween costume.
1: Did you? I did, because I'm not a lame. And I was Cliff Booth from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And a compatriot was Rick Dolan, of course. You got uh, to do it for the content. This was a you know do-it-for-us kind of costume, not the most populous choice you could do. But fuck them, you know. It was a good costume, so I was satisfied with my my, my work. A,
0: a compatriot who will not be named on this this podcast. Um, no, uh, I, I saw your costume. was very uh, impressed. I thought you two did a great job with it. Um, you, you said that people thought you were Starsky and Hutch, though.
1: They did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unforeseen uh, circumstance. I just assumed people just wouldn't recognize it because they hadn't seen the movie, but... Mm-hmm. Apparently Starsky and Hutch, specifically the original iteration, very, very similar to uh, Rick and Cliff in the promotional
0: images. So It's funny. It's all good. Something definitely unforeseen, but if you want to see everything Pod has to offer you, subscribe on YouTube. You can also listen any way you want at soundcloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaPod for the non- audio content that we're churning out mostly just tweets but maybe other stuff in the future who knows uh we got lots to talk about today jesus the king actually dropped which um hey imagine that but <laughs> we want to start with our very our very good boys our, our former number one boys
1: benioff and
0: weiss uh they're uh regretfully stepping away from star wars uh, for now um, and it seems like for the future so they you know they recently signed on the deal with Netflix back in August five years 250 million turning out movies and television for them uh, but they're they're pretty much assured or they pretty much assured everybody that this would not conflict with their Star Wars output that they didn't foresee this pushing it back at all just a mere two months later they're stepping away Dave what do you make of this this news from the Game of Thrones creators
1: yeah, not too shocked, to be honest, just because when that Netflix deal was signed, or at least the news was broke to the public, a lot of people remarked that it was kind of a lot of money as far as these uh, overall deals that have been handed out ad nauseum by all the streamers recently. It's kind of a lot of money because Benioff and Weiss, despite showrunning the last monocultural show known to man, Game of Thrones, of course. They've never really worked on multiple projects at the same time, the way other Netflix signees like Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy have. So it was a bit curious to expect them to turn out lots of different stuff, especially if one of those things happens to be something unrelated to Netflix, such as new Star Wars movies. So I think the writing was on the wall, at least a little bit. You know, when the Netflix uh, news dropped, it was... They were saying that they were committed to doing at least one Star Wars movie. So it had already kind of been walked back from a, a full trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they were signed, I mean, they were announced as the full trilogy, what, two years ago now, almost two and a half years ago? So mm-hmm. uh, it's been quite a while. But, you know, uh, once Kevin Foggy uh, joined the mix, as we discussed recently, it did seem like the moors were a little muddied, you know? Foggy doing at least one movie, Ryan Johnson's movies have not been canned as far as we know and benioff and weiss's movies there didn't seem to be much headway so i'm not overly shocked um honestly i wonder how how long ago this was actually decided you know i mean i'm sure lucasfilm probably was with this call as soon as the netflix deal became official
0: yeah you know that that's an interesting question why they would release it this time i guess is a bit puzzling to me if if this wasn't recent i'm not sure how it lines up especially with mandalorian just dropping trailers um you know this is going to be big news regardless so waiting you know until they had maybe some trailers to stifle the noise of of this sort of loss um is something to consider i'm not really sure what to make of that but you know the the question i kind of come back to i guess and we've talked a little bit about this in the past is does Star Wars as an intellectual property, as a uh, uh, television and movie uh, churner of content, have a problem with working with some of the the biggest directors of our time. You know, J.J. Abrams has been the uh, a solid fill-in for them, and they seem to have a really good relationship with him. Um, Ron Howard came in to save Lord Miller from the solo debacle, but Lord hmm. Miller, Trevorrow, save. Trank, right, <laughs> save. Um, it, it, maybe not not the best word to piece something together, but yeah. Lord and Miller, Trevorrow, Trank. I mean, the the list now includes Benioff and Weiss. What is it that's making these it's so difficult for these people to work with Star Wars after they signed on to it?
1: Yeah, you know, it's. I mean, no one really got to Ass shape once Josh Trank's untitled spin-off was canned. People thought maybe it was a Boba Fett movie. Who knows? Nor were people that concerned that Trevorrow's taken off episode nine, right? Um, I mean, Trank had just had the Fantastic Four reboot flop, and Trevorrow had followed up Jurassic World with the Book of Henry, another notorious flop. But then, once the Lord knows stuff happens, once uh, Gareth Edwards needs to be severely fixed with Tony Gilroy on Rogue One, all that, you know. It's an interesting question. Apparently, there's talk of, or not even talk, report that Gilroy got a back involved for the Catch and Or Rogue One spin off show. Because, again, they're having some issues in the writing room. So I think, I don't know, part of it probably is what kind of expectations Disney has set. Because, you know, all of Hollywood has, I'm sure, amazing, really interesting pitches for things to do in the Star Wars sandbox. It just needs to be uh, something that Lucasfilm and Disney want to actually make. And in terms of like, I don't know, muddying the brand, we hope we're in, or, uh, enthusiastic about the future of the movies getting more experimental and leaving the Skywalkers behind as we know. And, you know, until then, we have The Mandalorian and how uh, gritty is The Mandalorian actually going to be? The trailers, I think, are promising, but, you know, we don't know. So I, I think it's just um, Disney or Lucasfilm, however, it's really being broken down, is uh, just really controlling of the brand right now Mm. so at least in the the most mainstream of ways obviously the comics and the games are getting a little more uh a little a little more freaky but (laughs) yeah um it's weird obviously
0: yeah it's it's just a strange thing especially because uh the the generation of filmmakers that are coming up now are people that obviously grew up with star wars as this major influence in their their careers and their movie going lives and um you know it It's definitely something that I think we'll we'll be uh, keeping our eye on as we move forward and we see who does get to take control of these series. Um, Yeah, and this hopefully trilogy that was planned or that they're working on or that they're developing, however far down the line it got. So um, definitely some interesting news. Why don't we we move on to an interesting album, though, from Kanye West. Feels like just last year we were talking about him. That's because we were. Uh, when he released Ye, as well as produced a number of other records from Pusha T, Nas, Tiana Taylor, um, Missing Someone. Sea ghosts as well. Yes, Kid Ghost as well. Um, and Jesus is King, originally uh, conceptualized as Yandi
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: We heard some leaks. Fairly, we, we talked about we were fairly intrigued by those leaks, but I think we both were cautious to put much stock into them. And then it was supposed to drop back in September. It didn't. Uh, comes out as a movie. People rush to the theaters to watch a 30 minute Kanye West visual album.
1: <laughs> Made 830 uh, grand on only 372 IMAX screens this past weekend. Decent a, business. <laughs>
0: not, not bad. Kanye West puts asses in the seats, man. Um, but I guess where maybe we should start is Dave, is this a good. Kanye West album I've seen a lot of buzz online going both directions
1: oh man <laughs> I mean this was the case even before Kanye was off the reservation but man this whenever he does any kind anything musically everyone has an opinion mm. everyone has one <laughs> it, it, it's so nauseating so because most of them aren't are, are interesting or detailed or the homework isn't done yada yada um yeah I think it's a good gospel adjacent record <laughs> in terms of <laughs> the kanye of west standards you know it, i still have it pretty low i think it's better than yay it's more it's it's funny the mix is still not perfect on this but the production i think overall is pretty impressive pretty good yep. and it's just much more interesting and conceptual than yay i think that's it's kind of obvious um but i wouldn't really hold it up to anything else after that in his discography but He's never tried to do anything like this before either, so it's kind of in its own little left field ballpark.
0: Yeah, it's it's really, I mean, it's conceptually unique, but still draws on a lot of his sound from past albums. You can really uh, hear on specific tracks, you know, how they could have fit into uh, "Graduation" or when "Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy," even with "Uses Gospel." Um, I thought water could have very much been a, a track off Yay um, if you wanted to. So th- there's there's a lot of influence there, but this is certainly unique for Kanye. And it, I agree. I think yeah, I, I texted you this earlier, and I said this album makes me do the Alonzo Morning gif where <laughs> he's like shaking his head, then nodding his head, like hey, you know, uh, right. <laughs> throughout because there, were, as much as like there were things I was like cringing at or I found just to be overall um, just not good there were some things I was like man that is a really awesome piece of production a really awesome flourish to this song Um, I mean getting clips and then Kenny G on a track is just like (laughs) fucking inspiring (laughs) you know and I I wish every Kanye song ended in a Kenny G uh, solo now which is (laughs) um, you know someone go back and make that Remix for me for all the all the tracks, but yeah, overall I think it's a very it's interesting, especially because it got delayed for so long, and then to feel this unfinished at parts is just like, are we ever gonna f- feel like there's a Kanye album that's finished when it comes out again? This question I don't know if we'll have an answer to, but
1: no, yeah, exactly, because we just did this with Ye, where Ye was right. a whole second body of work, and it replaced something. That had been basically done like a week prior, right? Mm. And all these Wyoming sessions, um, he's still doing those when he's not, you know, Calabasas. And he just—he's just—he's just such a tinkerer. But now he just is will never finish anything. And you know, a while leading up to this, while this this uh, Jesus King was delayed a, a few weeks, a lot of it was just based off mixing, right? He just wants to remix. Remix, remaster everything he's doing. I think Nikki told Genius that she redid her new body feature like three different times, yeah. like different ways and stuff. And then what happens? It doesn't even make the album. Personally, that was my favorite of the Yandy leaks. I'm, I've mm-hmm. since downloaded the bootleg, or or have I? And at this point, it's not it's not out there legitimately. But um, that's just how he is. You know, he's just gonna change his mind at the, uh, you know, tilt of a hat. But yeah, getting Kenny G getting Malice to come back and reunite with, with Pusha. I mean, that's just, that's just who Kanye is, the way you can bring collaborators together. Um, and it's funny, you know, I always wonder like, who's the muse on Kanye's album? You know, I mean, Dark Twisted Fantasy, um, you know, that's where we, we get the Bonnie Iver introduction, right? Cuddy back at um, 808s and Chief Keef shows up on Yeezus and, there's always like some young up and coming thing. He's trying to Jack or, or, or come in. And I don't know if he had one this time, but aunt Clemens is all over this track list more than anyone else. So mm-hmm. that's at least someone I'll be watching. Uh, and like that, on one of those tracks, everything we need with Ty Dallas on that was of course on the leaks. That was, what was that before the storm? That was the one yeah. that had a, an a XXX feature. And obviously that feature is no longer here, but yeah, when we really hadn't heard anything else. Um, but I was I was struck with uh, just how gospelly it actually was. You know, Connie has been never shy about his faith, and you know whether you believe believe it, it's it's truly uh, something he feels or not. It's always been part of him, right? Obviously, his first uh, solo single is literally "Jesus Walks," and the God imagery has been there from the, the get go. Again, one of the albums is called Jesus, so he actually finally take it to the next level and i don't know i i do finally feel like it's kind of sincere like him trying to be like this megalomanial like egomaniac joel austin for the wealthy i don't know it's uh like it, it does track with what i know uh, how kanye is these days
0: it's pretty even funny we, yeah I'm sorry it's pretty funny to hear you compare someone wanting to be joel uh austin as sincere like <laughs> what are we talking about here? (laughs) I mean, like, I I don't know, man. It's, I guess it's hard to feel like this is, I I think in Kanye's mind, this is sincere. I think, uh, I think he feels like he's actually like trying to deliver a message and trying to, you know, bring people towards uh, his beliefs and spirituality and and lead them and to be inspired in ways. But it's, it's hard to take that from the guy who, uh, is wearing the MAGA hats, who's uh, you know going out there and and basically backing somebody who is you know uh, who doesn't love everybody, who doesn't even approach people, you know every person as ha- as a person. So it's it's just hard to be like delivering this message while also kind of living the public persona that he has, and I think it just kind of highlights the the inner turmoil for kanye but we didn't get the inner turmoil of like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy which is using that pain to inspire things it's him almost like neglecting how how much turmoil is in um and saying like oh i found this path and i i guess that that in some ways made it harder for me to connect with some of the songs and some of the messages but overall i i think that there's a lot more that i like on this record than i dislike um you know, like we already talked about Use This Gospel. That, that song is fucking awesome. Um, but I know a song that you like a lot is Follow God.
1: Yeah, that's things thing. So follow, I mean, we, a lot of like the, the press, the absurdity of Kanye's persona right now. What was it? Uh, he, he suddenly has a problem with the way Kim dresses. Uh, okay. And he doesn't want his collaborators to be engaging in premarital sex while he's working with them. Again, of all people for this to come from, it's really rich. Remember that Struggle Bar song he had like a year ago where he was talking about how he kind of wanted to smash Kylie and and Courtney and all, all that. All four of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, fine. Maybe you've totally changed the way you feel. Let's see if it lasts. Let's just say we're skeptical. But yeah, Follow God is funny because a lot of the lyrical content on Follow God uh, is just kind of more like traditional yay. Like, and like he, he, and and traditional yay yeah, today is not as uh woke or thoughtful as he thinks it is right like mm-hmm. i was looking at the gram and i don't even like likes you know it's... deep deep shit right there um <laughs> and like yeah i think like him talk like i was screaming at my dad he told me it ain't christ like he's actually talked about that story i believe with big on, on big voice neighborhoods radio show and i think there's actually a lot of like interesting little like one-liners on this track but overall, because it's more, it's like the, the, clearly the the most traditional rap song on there. I just like it more. I think it's a really good beat. And I actually enjoy that enjoy that flow. Um, and, you know, flipping the whole truth sample, keeping that father such my hands motif he's been rolling with. I don't know. I think that, that song's just, uh, just kind of fun to listen to. And I believe it is currently the number one track on Spotify for Connie right now. It's up to... 19 million listens almost 20 so i think that does track just because it's the easiest song to listen to um but in a sense it doesn't really fit most of the other album mm-hmm. i don't know what do you think because i think overall it, it this this album sounded pretty congruent songs like sailor and water and yeah. on god i don't know i feel like overall the motif was kind of kind of present and i guess follow god which is a pretty short track almost felt like a bit of an outlier
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that song definitely stood out, but it felt like something that we could have heard on the back of uh, Pablo. You know, that how the backside didn't really feel like it was totally uh, rolled together, but a lot of it just really jumped off. Um, Water, I thought, sounded great. Uh, uh, Selah, I wasn't as big of a fan of, but I really liked On God, even um, even if it uh, maybe didn't catch me lyrically. I liked the sound of it. It sounded like something that could have been on Graduation, which you know, when graduation came out, it was just like mind blowing to hear like the way he was like producing things and using like the different sounds together. Um, but probably the song I keep coming back to the most uh, in a good way and a bad way is God is. Um, because, uh, you know, I tweeted about how his take and he's like basically have making this plea to God to like save him and protect him. And he pleads so much his voice basically gets like hoarse and. It, it it's a little off putting to me but at the same time the production the second half of that song is just phenomenal and the way he uses those like woo he's like woo woo like in the background i like wish i just wish he had a better vocal sample on it and he did he chose not to like go hoarse during the song um because I, I think that that woo background is one of like the most electric moments on the track and just <laughs> really elevates the song to me um any other songs that stood out?
1: Uh, no, that's it. You know, it's funny the the track with Clips and Kenny G. It's getting a lot of love, and the Kenny G solo at the end, in particular, I think is a pretty triumphant moment. But actually, I think that's one of the weaker beats, to be honest. And Clips probably could have sounded even better if that beat was a little more amenable to how they go. But you know, it's again, this is a 27 minute album. Yay, was also around this length mm-hmm. this time because of the motif. So much more obviously present an impression is still left with a short runtime. time. Mm-hmm. The thing goes a long way. Connie usually has made much longer tracks and longer albums, but um, this is just, this is the new yay. And yeah, the lyrics are, are not as strong as they used to be. I think they've just kind of accepted that that's been the case, frankly, since Pablo, right? Like mm-hmm. he's just kind of, uh, he's in a new stage. He's a late, late, late career guy. And I mean, also there's not a whole lot of precedent for, rappers having great success in their 40s apart from like jay-z so i guess it comes with the territory um but yeah you know i'm not going to run a lot of this back just because the gospel stuff inherently is not you know it my bag per se but it's a lot better than i expected and i think that's the case for a lot of people considering once we knew the gospel shit was really what we were
0: getting yeah, kind of crazy this is where we're at with Kanye, though, where we're like, uh, yeah. pleasantly surprised by this album. Right. <laughs> uh, would not have expected we would be here 10 years ago. Um, quick question for you. Kanye said he's going to start touring pretty quickly. you going to be in?
1: Yeah, I'll be in for sure. Uh, apparently, he'll be still playing some of the old hits and perhaps sanitizing the lyrics. Obviously, he has a lot of explicit lyrics in the past, so that's just interesting to see if that holds. But uh yeah. I mean, last time he was on tour, the St. Pablo tour, he canceled it before my date came up, so I didn't get to see that, um, which means the last time I saw him was at the Meadows right after the Yeezus tour, so it's been quite a while. Um, and let's hope he can finish the tour this time. Obviously, he has a lot of issues with his uh, you know, ability to handle that now, so seems like he'd be dedicated. And the Sunday service live performances seems to have reinvigorated uh how he likes to do that so if we get a sunday service tour of sor- sorts uh, there's worse things to pay money to see right <laughs> for
0: sure yeah i definitely will be in too it'll be interesting to see if he does sanitize the lyrics how uh pretty much any song off my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is handled uh runaway in particular can't imagine doing mm. a kanye concert without runaway and that that chorus but home not... yeah <laughs> um All right, moving on to buttholes, the deuce. (laughs) David Simon series finale last night on HBO. David Simon, obviously the creator of the deuce, as well as the wire. uh, Show me a hero uh, generation kill, among others. Um, Dave, uh, why don't we give our overall thoughts on season three and then the show as a whole, because I think that uh, this is one of the, the shows we've we've been with start to finish that we've we've been able to kind of talk about. And I think it's interesting to see um, the three different variations of the show and how Simon kind of tied them all together at the end. I'll let you start.
1: Yeah. I think that was made abundantly clear as this season started to wrap up, actually how it started is that the deuce apparently from the beginning was a three season arc with three distinct stories. You know I mean? Broadly, we go from prostitution to porn to the AIDS crisis, the modernization of New York City, right? Just seeing how Times Square changed. Again, this is all rooted in real life, how Times Square changed over... I mean, what's the show's past? About 15 years of time? We're we're in like 85 Mm -hmm. by the end of this, starting in the 70s. Um, Seeing that change and seeing how all these different characters with their various... um, storylines that are all serving the greater Simon theme about urban decay and crime and vice and how that affects mm. people and the larger system. Uh, it's just done really well. And it's funny because this is a show that has way less plot than something like The Wire, which mm-hmm. is really famous for having so much plot and being so, uh, I think, you know, uh, easy to enjoy in that right. regard. But the Deuce is almost like anti-fan service. And it's so in, uh, dedicated to serving those themes. And I think ultimately doing justice to its characters, at least the ones that get the best stories, uh, that is really impressive. And I mean, it's what, only like 20, it's less than 30 episodes uh, total. And it's never like a huge ratings hit. But uh, yeah, I think the, the, the legacy of the show is just that this, this overall arc that it goes on. And Season 3, I think, is the strongest season just because you get a lot of great payoff that's been coming for so long that uh, I found it incredibly satisfying. What about you?
0: Yeah, I I thought Season 3 was very satisfying. I thought it was a really fun watch. And I I thought it was also interesting how they were able to um, like, take this this five-year jump and be able to... um, put some characters in the same spots and some characters very much far ahead from where they were, you know, a a major development in their, their own arc as characters. And, you know, like someone like Lori in this season, even though she's this famous porn star very much kind of stuck within her own issue still, and still trying to like make something of herself. Um, You know, Frankie, another character who throughout the season very much just stuck being the same kind of character, whereas the ones who uh, were able to, I think, uh, be more internal, be more, uh, uh, I don't know, re- retrospective or, or in- inflective of their own choices, their own life, where they mm-hmm. want to go, what they actually want to accomplish. But the characters that you saw take steps, make something of themselves, be able to have a different future than the one that, that, it seemed like they were kind of doomed to. So I thought that was something Simon did well, and obviously there's the the, the typical Simon touches, you know, where uh, you have this this big story with all these characters, and that that can be a, a challenge for almost any other showrunner or director to to manage. And he just juggles it and interweaves it so well. It's, it's so impressive the way he builds worlds, the way he builds characters out. I mean, even someone I like, I forgot his name. This guy that plays Lenny Bruce and Maisie. Uh, Luke Kirby. Yes, Luke Kirby. The like he gets like maybe like three scenes this season for his personal life, and it's mostly related mm-hmm. to him, him and his wife's relationship and how he's a, a closeted gay. Um, and I think it it does so much with so little to build out that character and and just the how how much impact that had on him and his family. It's really impressive. So um, I think the Deuce might go down as one of like the most probably underrated in shows of, of this era of tv because I, like you said it's never a ratings darling but i think just a master class in terms of how you, you tell a story so um what, what moments from season three really stood out to you
1: uh well i think um overall i think the best characters in season three would be Lori and eileen slash candy probably mm-hmm. and they got They've gotten significant screen time uh, throughout the whole show, and and Laurie in particular, you know, obviously she's at the forefront of uh, Cece in the first two seasons, and we obviously really enjoyed Gary Carr's performance, even if Cece was a really a testable person. Obviously, he was not in this season because he's already dead. But mm-hmm. seeing Laurie continue to have, I think, really fulfilling arc, and even if it doesn't have a happy ending, um, it's just really well drawn. I think Emily, me in particular who i only known from her brief appearances on The Leftovers, uh, really, really does a lot. And I think that's probably the character that Simon really, I think, did a lot of work to build up. You know, it was obvious that Maggie Gyllenhaal was a producer on the show. She was never going to be Candy and do, shoot, do some nudity if the character was not going to have some grander, uh, you know, ambition. And if, sure enough, as she becomes a director and, uh, activist in a certain sense you know that um becomes obvious but lori i think is probably like the best best aspect of the show just because that arc i think uh that, that could have just got that could have gone sideways or could have been less um less special mm-hmm. so i was really impressed with that and obviously uh not 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 great to uh watch her go out the way she did but um yeah, yeah i think those are my two favorite favorite arcs for sure
0: Yeah, Lori is the real tragedy of the story. You know, she's the one that kind of gets eaten alive by this world. Whereas you see characters like Abby or Candy, like you talked about, um, be able to like make something of themselves. Um, How did you feel about Vince and Frankie? You know, I I think Franco, when he was first attached to this and gonna be playing twins, it was probably the most publicity that the show got heading into its premiere, and then. I think it was it, it was pulled off to varying levels of effectiveness throughout.
1: Yeah, I mean, overall, overall, it was an unnecessary gimmick, especially considering uh, Frankie Martino he didn't change throughout most of the show. He's relatively one note as a person, and, and, and in in a sense, his story ended the way it always would. You know, I think that was done well. Uh, maybe not the most unique character in a Simon show, a little familiar. But mm-hmm. that was done well, but it didn't need to be Franco, right? And obviously, right. with uh, you know, the allegations of misconduct and the way Franco had carried himself at that um, was that acting school, the way he was directing, yeah. the optics were not great that Franco stayed on with the show, playing two different characters, and even directed an episode or two this season. You know, I think Simon's a very progressive guy that really does, um, you know, practice what he preach preaches and whatnot and uh you know unforced error the same time hbo said that nothing had bad had happened on their experience with him on the deuce so kind of complicated considering nothing criminal ever happened to Franco. i think there's a civil suit now but yeah in terms of the characters i think i always liked vince more um and you think when you start watching the show that he's going to be like an a1 lead Right. And he really just ends up fading into the stacked ensemble, the way a lot of uh, of Simon uh, ensembles go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in a sense, against the extra franko of it all, it might not have been worth it. But, I mean, they were good performances, and it was pretty impressive towards the end, the way they did the effects with them sharing scenes.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I did feel like the scene where Frankie dies just fell very flat for me. Um I don't know if it was just that I didn't really care for Frankie much or what, but something about that scene just didn't hit me the way I kind of expected. Yeah. It,
1: it just felt, as soon as uh, Pasquale mm-hmm. came onto the show, you just felt like, all right, here's the guy that's going to kill Frankie. Yep. And it felt, felt a little obvious, felt a little uh, self-serving to the story in terms of getting rid of him, and that's fine. I feel like it still works, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, It's not the most uh, you got, uh, warm you know feel feel like great seeing it happen but or feel that bad i think having mike uh come down with aids though that even though mike is definitely a ancillary character that definitely i think hit me a lot harder you know and obviously mm, all the stuff definitely. the stuff with paul you know the, the specter of aids was really over the show since season 2 but i really seeing the way that plays out in the show and they don't really Simon never like defers to like like grief, grief porn or anything, right? It's more about like people using the opportunity to make up for lost time and misconnections and, you know, reconnecting with the past. That's kind of a common theme this season. So, yeah, I, I, like, I like that focus more. And Frankie, um, I mean, if Frankie had left the show a season ago, nothing, nothing probably would have changed,
0: right? No, I, I don't think so. Um, someone that I was really impressed with was uh chris coy who played paul on the show i thought paul uh especially the episode where um he calls todd's parents and and uh yep. you know as todd is deal- uh, at the end stages of dealing with uh, hiv um, i thought he was just incredibly strong in that episode and the way that um, he played such a, a delicate uh, moment in this in this story and kind of portraying the uh, the effects that this disease had on this community uh, on, on the people during this time. I thought he just absolutely killed it. Um, and also shout out to Chris Bauer, <laughs> played Bobby, and just like fuck Bobby, man. Like I hated that guy throughout. He's such a piece of shit. Um, yeah, I don't know, just a really like not great person. Although I did like how he handled um, getting uh, what, what was. his dave out of jail um uh, black Rikers. frankie yes black black frankie out of jail thought that was great
1: yeah black black frankie remained black frankie once white frankie died the old habits <laughs> i guess but that was funny fits those guys though how that would go yeah, uh, yeah you know um his son joey i actually like that little detail of him growing up a little bit as the show progressed then getting involved with wall street and bringing that in little shades of wolf of wall street antics right? Um, Also, Mm -hmm. didn't actually realize this. He's played Joey's played by a Gandolfini son. Cool little cameo, of sorts. How'd you feel about uh, that? Yeah, yeah, I I didn't didn't know till I looked it up. How'd you feel about um, uh, Frankie Longo and Rudy Pippolo and how that uh the the mob aspect of the show fizzled out? You know, I mean, I I like that like mob bar setting we got a few times that was very uh mm. classic you know they all look like italian ass mobsters little cliche but that was funny uh, yeah but how'd you feel about that like rudy going out as a, the more ruthless like Gotti mobsters are coming in you know definitely like a changing of the guard um, yeah that been building up for a while
0: you, you know it really surprised me i, I did when uh, i saw him walking around the car and, and the way that they were talking that scene i thought for sure, um, it was going to be the the other way around in terms of who killed who. Oh, um, but you know, I think it, I think it made sense the way it went down and, and did embody like the like you said the changing of the guard so to speak. And um, you know, it reminded me um, a bit of a lot of the the deaths in the wire. I know you haven't seen it, but a lot of times it, there would be people in cars, and it would be like a, a young a youngin from the the crew that they're in or the gang that they're in who would be uh sneaking up on um you know an elder in the crew and just kind of you know establishing themselves as the new person in that spot so i thought that was also kind of like a nice like nod to some of the wire type stuff um i don't know overall i i i think this show is just there's so much to like and so much to dig into and it's around such a a topic that you would just never, I think, expect to really uh, see given this much time and this much um, detail. And that's really what Simon does best, man. Is he, he takes these stories that I think people either struggle to tell to the depth that he does or don't touch. And he really, um, really brings them to, to life. And uh, I'm actually going to miss the deuce a little bit. I had to do some catching up prior to recording today, but... It was just a really great watch. I was I was riveted. Yeah, man,
1: it's it's uh, again a really satisfying show. Really happy that we stuck with it, and I think everyone who did stuck with it was very satisfied and happy with the show. Everyone seems to evangelize forth, does watch it. Um, but as we mentioned before, uh, Simon will be back in short order. He's already filmed a Plot Against America miniseries based off the famous Philip Roth novel. Oh, yeah. A shot, so we'll get that uh, in the new year. So Simon will, of course, be back on HBO soon enough, but yeah, the deuce, uh, you know, I'd rather leave uh, leave twirly than leave too late. So I think they uh, they Simon Pelicano's handled it really well. So, really satisfying.
0: Well, why don't we move on to Netflix? From HBO to Netflix. Dolomite is my name. Craig Brewer's new film about um, uh, starring Eddie Murphy about Rudy Ray Moore who created the character of Dolomite and uh who was a real person that did stand-up comedy and black exploitation films back in the uh, 60s I believe it was, 60s, 70s
1: um, yeah, the, the story the, the movie's about the making of the movie Dolomite which came out in 1975 so yeah, late 60s and 70s is where the story takes place
0: and uh yeah, what this was gaining most of its attention from is Eddie Murphy's return to screen for the first time in three years. Um, the last time was with it Dream Girls? What was it?
1: Well, yeah, the last time he was back of any consequence was Dream Girls, and that was way back in 2006. This is his first R-rated, <laughs> R-rated movie since life back in 1999. So yeah, it's been a while that Eddie was in the mainstream consciousness in a respectable way you know and Mm -hmm. i think ever since this premiered at at tiff the buzz was that eddie wants uh that best actor and sure enough he's he's been running he's been at all the early awards and stuff and um he is really fantastic and the movie does a great job of both i guess honoring someone like rudy Ray Moore, who is probably not as famous as he deserves to be he of course always remarks in the movie about how he didn't look like billy d williams and he wasn't good yeah. enough to make Shaft, right? A lot, a lot of good references at the time. But still a really talented and impressive entertainer. Meanwhile, the movie's flipping that and also kind of just showcasing Eddie Murphy, who, as we everyone knows, yeah. was the, the star of stars in the 80s, had, but has since, uh, you know, receded as he just became so fucking famous. So I really enjoyed the movie, despite not knowing anything about Rudy Ray Moore. W- what about you?
0: Yeah, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I thought Eddie Murphy was just phenomenal. Um, the way that he kind of jumped in and out of being this the character of Dolomite and like the person Rudy Ray Moore, I thought was really impressive. And he brings a, a weight to the character that I think is essential in telling the story. Because if it was just about if it, this is just like we're gonna let Eddie Murphy be Dolomite, like all right, whatever, like. Uh, I, I feel like that would have just kind of fallen back into the the same type of films that Eddie's gotten panned for, you know, right. for doing Norbit. But, right, exactly. But showing his his acting chops off and really sinking into like the struggle and, and this person's desire to to be famous and to be successful and to, to keep moving through these challenges of getting this story made. Um, just really, really impressive. And the cast is just deep i mean eddie murphy keegan michael key mike epps craig robinson titus burgess wesley snipes who wesley snipes fucking awesome as, man so good um divine joy randolph t.i chris rock i mean we're, we're C. really C. getting Jones. down the bench at that point yep. yeah just uh just really really in uh a, a delight to watch a lot of really funny moments what did what what moments or what what about the movie set out most to you
1: uh, yeah, I think right away, it really is really striking period setting. You know, that's the '60s, '70s. Mm-hmm. Um, down to the fashion, the, uh, the dialogue. It, it, it felt really uh, accurate to the time in terms of it's a movie that's obviously unapologetically black, largely black cast about you know black people, but it is still rooted in in that time, and you know. Sh- I think it was really effective scene was when uh, uh, Rudy and crew go see uh, what was it a uh, Gene Wilder movie. I think it was mm-hmm. in the theater and like, man, there's no, there's no brothers on screen. There's no, nobody else like us watching in the theater. We gotta, we gotta make some pictures too. You know, I think it was really smart of rooting what it was like to be a black entertainer at that time into the story effectively. and, I mean, that wasn't really an easy task because, as you said, when you when Eddie's in the Dolomite character, uh, you know, Rudy Ray Moore, Dolomite was famous for being so crass and really pushing the lines and not worrying about being uh, palatable to traditional white audiences, right? So I think it really does uh, kind of ride that line uh, really effectively, which is, again, funny to say because the movie is a, traditional biopic in a certain sense that's really balls to the wall like there's a lot of nudity in this there's a lot of ridiculous jokes um just hilarious scenes i think the whole thing where uh snipes who plays uh derville martin Mm -hmm. uh when he actually acts and like commits to finishing the movie and like he's just like talking with the intestine fake intestines hanging out of him and then just like leaves the set with them and shit like it's um it was always really committed to, uh, I think, committed to what it wanted to be the whole time. I was actually surprised. I kind of, not knowing the story, I I thought Ron Fish Jones, given that he's a obviously a really esteemed actor, I thought his like hobo character, bum character, would come back into play and accuse Rudy of st- stealing his stuff. You know, I guess it's a bit of a red herring. It was that was effective to me? Um, I also enjoyed Ti Ti's moments just because it was very off type, unlike yeah. uh, Ti's past acting. So that was enjoyable. But yeah, overall, it's just really, I think it's a really crowd pleasing movie, mm-hmm. and just seeing someone like Snipes who also is making a bit of a comeback, um, you know, j- just just really, 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 really fun the whole time.
0: Yeah, it, it's incredibly fun. Um, it's, it's uh, I think, slightly uh, affecting emotionally, but really, I think the the way that's structured, having to overcome all these challenges. Um, empowering characters you know I think that was probably the the moments that got me the most emotionally was when Dolomite would be talking with like the girl who, who sang on stage and then who brings along with him uh, Divine Joy Randolph right. and uh, I think those moments when or, or when he talks with his aunt and things like that those moments where you see him like being a human you know being silly being goofy uh, lifting people up was what really got to me there so yeah Definitely a film I would I would recommend people to watch, and Craig Brewer going to be directing "Coming to America," uh "Coming to America," so the follow up right. next year. So uh I think we'll get to see him working with Eddie so a little bit more.
1: Yeah, that's uh that that that's exciting, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Ninety seven percent Rotten Tomatoes. You think uh, Eddie Murphy gets uh best actor nom for this? I he's definitely
1: on the short list, and I mean the 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 larger short list is, as we've said before, a lot of incredibly stacked with famous yep. already accomplished actors. But I think he's close, you know, I mean that top five, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but I think he's right there yep. and he's trying He'll be on SNL soon. Both as the, uh, is he, the, is he, the, is he, is he hosting and the musical guest somehow or is he just, hosting? no, no, you're just thinking, hosting. Right?
0: Yeah. Chance was the, right. I yeah, think of Harry
1: Styles, who's doing that. That's right. But yeah, yeah. yeah, Eddie Murphy, come back, that's enough. First time in like 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, he's just been at, at all the awards uh, stuff so far. So we'll see. But he, he he's going to be at the finish
0: line, I think. Uh, moving on to Jojo Rabbit, not on streaming services. Uh saw this in the theater. Taika Waititi uh, telling this story about... Little Jojo, a Nazi youth at the end of World War II, who has an imaginary friend. That imaginary friend is Hitler, played by Taika Waititi. And about his escapades as he finds out his mother is hiding a secret within his house. You you can find most of this in the trailers. This is fairly non-spoilery at this point. Um, We are going to be getting into spoilers with this, but maybe just giving a general... uh, your general thoughts on Jojo rabbit as a movie sitting at 70% rotten tomatoes right now. And then we'll dive a little bit more into the details.
1: Yeah. Jojo rabbit. Uh, I enjoyed it and I think it's, it's good and pretty effective considering all the lines and themes it's juggling. But I also felt like I wanted more from the movie once it ended, but, I think it's a very interesting movie to discuss for a lot of reasons. But how, how did you feel about it?
0: I, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I thought, um, you know, going into it, I was a little bit worried because I, I do think there's a lot of themes, a lot of things that it was hoping to touch on. And I was like, eh, is this going to be able to deliver in all these areas? Um, and I think if if you go in expecting a comedy, um, a, a film that's going to satire. Uh, not nazism and the ideologies attached to that specific to world war ii um and that is going to kind of leave you uh feeling good at parts um and actually feeling helping or making you feel not so good at probably at more parts then you get exactly what you were looking for um and that's that's the thing is I, i i think because i went in worried i came out uh pleasantly surprised whereas it sounds like maybe you had higher expectations that the movie didn't totally deliver on
1: yeah i think ultimately i just i was expecting more of like a comment or or i don't want to say like a take you know it's comedic it's it's obviously satirizing uh hate and nazism it's billed as an anti-hate satire right that's a Great job on the, on the on the marketers on that one, but um, like like I think the expectations are set, but you know, just watching it, I just felt like overall the stuff with Scott Johansson I think is is pretty good in the movie as JoJo's mom. Uh, well, I thought the scene with you know her when when he when he finds her for the last time, I thought that was pretty effective and like a good emotional beat and probably even better than a lot of humor in a certain sense. I don't know. I just was, I was waiting for some kind of payoff with the movie that I just didn't feel like that, which is funny because I was entertained the whole time and, and enjoyed most of the humor, um, which is funny because a lot, you know, a lot It's funny. I think didn't expect this, but most of the humor is actually at the expense of Jews, not Nazis, hmm. even that we're seeing lots of Nazi characters, you know, and a lot of times it's over the top, Really lampooning anti Semitism, right? Like the Jews have their horns and their scales and all this nonsense shit, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing that expound, expoused from uh, little kids in particular is just uh, pretty amusing, of course. But by the end, I just felt a little, little lacking. Um, I think part of it is probably because Thompson McKenzie, who uh, obviously really broke out last year and leave no trace, uh, she's, uh, she's the Jew in the attic hiding, the Anne Frank character. She, she doesn't, she doesn't really come across to Jojo or the audience as a Jewish person. We're just told she's Jewish. And I guess there's no like other side to, to, to to what the Jews are in the movie. So she was just kind of there to be like the, the thing to get Jojo to grow up a little bit and change his fanaticism. And yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's still really funny, but I, I just didn't think it was as smart as I expected it to be, let's say that.
0: So it sounds like you felt like Thomas and McKenzie's Elsa was like a a character development MacGuffin, so to speak, but didn't stand alone as like a fully developed character. And I, I think I agree with that. Um, you know, I, I think they definitely could have built her out more. However, I almost feel like the point you made where it's like, you know, she didn't necessarily like we're just told she's Jewish, but nothing else about her character would necessarily indicate that to you is almost kind of the point. I I think that she was trying to get across to Jojo that, you know, your, your uh, internalized image of, of these people that you've been fed um, and brainwashed with is not, it's not real. And you, when you really break it down, uh, what's the difference between us other than uh our ideologies on on religion and spirituality so i think that that can go both ways but i i do agree that elsa as a character i think i, I was left wanting to just see a little bit more to feel like they put a little bit more thought into that um and, and the role she could have played i also think because of where her character at, she, she, ha- she plays a very like reserved emotional role, even though mm. she's been through a lot of trauma and I wish they had given her a little bit more space. Cause you know, I don't, I don't think it's a female character issue. I thought Scarlett Johansson as a female character in this was phenomenal. Maybe my favorite Scarlett Johansson performance ever, you know, it, uh, maybe probably since her and that's a vocal performance mm. exclusively. Um, but yeah, Thomas McKenzie was, I think, a little bit handcuffed by how she was written in this. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting
1: just because overall the movie has a very lighthearted tone. It's, it's quite cartoonish in, in spots. Yep. Obviously, Taiko Waititi plays Adolf Hitler, who's JoJo's imaginary friend. It's <laughs> inherently um, a little fantastical. But it might be off-putting to see such a lighthearted attitude around the Third Reich, you know? And even though this is, this is 1945, they're at the end, they're about to lose, right? The, the uh, Eastern uh, European theater is, is about to close, but still, I don't know, the evil, even if it, it's supposed to be in a m- making fun of way, don't know if we totally got that so much like Sam Rockwell who loves to play shitty guys as he continues to prove Sam Rockwell is really likable as really likable
0: <laughs> disgrace
1: like Nazi stormtrooper who keeps getting demoted due to his incompetence I suppose like he's really enjoyable and I think a lot some people might grapple with that like liking a Nazi that's just the way he's portrayed and portrayed and in the beginning of the movie uh, is portrayal of Hitler is also I think real, really enjoyable just because he delivers a lot of the best jokes in the first act and a half or so mm-hmm. and I just don't know if we totally grappled with that by the end you know like the whole like, like fuck you Hitler and he, what, he, he, he kicks him out the window or whatever it is it's like I, I feel like we just kind of like waved it all the way everything's mm-hmm. okay now and again, it's it, it's it's a lighthearted movie, but um, I don't know. Just uh, I just think th- those like more serious themes are just kind of touched on in the movie, and we never fully get get through to them. And it's still okay. I think the movie still works. The movie's still really enjoyable the whole time. Um, that that's something that kind of just left me a little uh, disappointed, just because I was expecting to get that at least in a different way. Um, what I was not expecting was to like uh, Archie Yates, who plays Yorkie so, <laughs> so much. Good. My God this adorable little kid who is just hilarious I at every, every scene he's in just an incredible scene stealer. That uh, was very impressive thing. Um, I also really enjoyed Stephen Merchant who plays a Gestapo leader.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the criticism about the Nazis really comes, uh, you know, and, and them almost being too likable comes with Stephen Merchant's Gestapo character, mm-hmm. you know, because, those guys are supposed to be super intimidating and you do have an air of like anxiety when they're on screen but to like introduce them with steven Merchant, who's like this tall goofy dude and then you know you do the 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 five hell hitlers every single time they address (laughs) each other just like it sets them off on such a silly way it's like hard to really feel the menacing um and how Mm. bad of a dude they are even like you know rebel wilson who is still this like brainwashed uh helper of captain right. cleansing it's like you know she she plays such a, a dweeb and uh, brainwashed idiot it's like okay uh, i can't really hate you because you're so absurd um I, I think you know alfie allen's character and <laughs> um sam rockwell's character it, I, I think I feel like it's okay to like them because they're obviously like working as like double agents at this point for, you know, to protect um, uh, the the Jewish people in the city or try to have some resistance against the Nazis. But yeah, I think that's a good point that maybe the Nazis could have been renounced a little bit more, (laughs) but I think overall it comes back to this is a story, not necessarily about that time, but about this boy. Right. And, um, kind of finding ways to be more critical in, in terms of his thought and not just being wanting to be like everybody else, but embracing his differences. Um, And I I think he does that through Elsa as his like avatar in a sense, like her Mm -hmm. helping him expand his mind and really explore his beliefs. Um, And yeah, I think all the other characters though, could have been drawn a little bit tighter is our kind of bring about the absurdity of one view and, and the, uh, the criticalness of, you know, what, like, where is really the the difference between everybody here?
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think they kind of go back to like when Jojo keeps asking about details about the Jewish people and Rockwell is like the Jews, are you still asking about that? Like, (laughs) like he's just totally unconcerned. Right. And it's, it's such a quick, quick moment to like dismiss the the notion and really 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 funny as as it comes up but um you know again for the, a little bit of hand waving you know it's funny because like there's a really good piece by uh, cam collins of Vanity Fair about charlie chaplin's the great dictator mm. which obviously is really f- the fairly famous satirization of hitler and of course that's also well known because that was made before world war ii really began like that was shot in like 1939 like the invasion of poland's like just happening when they're Mm -hmm. making that movie so like we've kind of already like like accomplished this in a certain sense right and like i don't want to like be like too much of a stickler like everyone knows nazis are bad like anyone who matters right so you don't need to i guess wave the flags and be like bad jews okay like I, i you don't have to be so obvious but i just the whole like uh, thing build up to the movie, and I guess Disney's apprehension about the movie because it's going to be the Fox Searchlight movie they inherited, um, just left me with expectations that this movie was going to be either more more pervasive, more controversial, or just have like some greater themes. And it's almost like more way more down the middle than I expected. You know, like I don't I didn't think anything was super egregious, right? like no,
0: yeah no you know, I
1: don't it, think so. it, it's not like it, so it's just uh it just caught me off guard i guess you know
0: what were your favorite scenes moments other than uh yorkie obviously stealing the show <laughs> uh
1: let's see uh early on i really like the uh like uh hitler youth like training <laughs> exercise. basically yeah uh that was really good for for, for multiple reasons It really highlights the the inherent sexism of, of of the regime, the the fanaticism to the bitter end, all that—that that was good. Um, <laughs> I really liked the uh, the metal collection in their like robot suits. That was really funny. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, this the Dress stuff is. I, I think I agree. This is one of her best roles, and apparently another one of her best roles. And marriage stories coming up soon. We'll talk about that soon. Peter, um, yeah it's it's weird because' like Star Trek is just so famous yeah. that like you can't help but see Scarjo when you're watching her, but she's also inherently so talented that she makes that work um it was, it's, it's almost a really understated role. it's not that showy, and all those scenes are good,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but if for some reason the payoff didn't totally land for me, but yeah i mean i I liked Thomas and mackenzie and jojo's um Elsa and Jojo's conversations when she's like in the, in the cupboard and stuff right and like yep. fake letters and all that I think that all really works and it's um, really sweet but uh, and again I think all, all the early scenes with Hitler mm-hmm. really work too just because those are good punchlines
0: yeah and it, it's a nice touch at the end when he, he does the like the fuck you Hitler line uh, where Hitler has the the blood on the side of his head yes <laughs> already dead I thought that was a pretty good, good touch um yeah, I, I thought Scarlett Johansson, that scene where, you know, Alfie's feeling her out, trying to get her to admit that she's hiding Jews. And he brings up her dad, or his dad not being around, and she puts the, the soot on her face and yep. plays the role of the, the dad and, and herself, I thought was pretty effective. And, and I, I, I thought just in general, how they built up that relationship was really good. I loved how there was running gag of how hideous uh, Jojo was now that he was like deformed and just like, oh, yeah. he had like that little scar on his face you could barely see. Um, can't even look
1: at you anymore. Yeah, I
0: thought that was great. Also, everything between Sam Rockwell and um Alfie Allen and Rebel Wilson, I just was like in stitches. That I <laughs> fantastic. So uh, a lot of good stuff there, and of course, Taika, as Hitler, like he said in the beginning, I thought was really really effective. So uh, for as as much as maybe the the movie didn't meet what we all were hoping it would. Um, I think you a little bit more than myself. I, I still think this is a movie people should go see, support it, uh, and give Taika more material to work with. Let him let him cook.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, Taika had been trying to make this for a while. It's an adaptation of uh, Caging Skies, the uh, novel or short story, and he'd been trying to make this for a while, and I think in a certain sense, the Thor Ragnarok's massive success kind of got him the last requisite financial clout he required to make this movie, even though he was already a successful filmmaker before Marvel. So, you know, a lot lot of Marvel talk these days. That's a positive. (laughs) Um, You know, this movie was only on 55 screens last week. It's kind of funny we both were able to see it. Uh, We made a million dollars, but I'm curious to see just how big this goes because this, this won the Audience Award at TIFF. And I think it's really going to be a crowd pleasing film. So I'm just curious quite how much this gets exposed, you know, how m- will Fox her? So I really ride this movie and really kind of platform that release and get that out there. Obviously we don't know yet, but, uh, it's kind of like Joker. It's something a little off color that you think can really resonate with people. So we'll keep an eye on that for sure. I think, uh, Adapted screenplay is probably in this movie's future. Uh, Scar jo maybe for Best Supporting. Again, she has another movie to consider there. But um, we'll be we talking about the movie in the future. That's for sure.
0: To your point, 70% uh, critic meter, 90% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So people that see it like it. Um, we're going to wrap up there talked about a lot of big stuff this week and dave what, we, what are we're yeah, what are we going to be talking about next week
1: yeah a lot of stuff is coming out this friday we won't talk about all of it but gangstar first album in 16 years dj premiere perhaps the best producer ever Excited for that i've liked the first two singles so that was we'll definitely talk about that uh his dark materials the philip pullman golden compass series of course premieres on hbo And I just got to say, that extended trailer I've been seeing looks pretty good. That polar bear CGI, pretty damn good. Um, The King is on Netflix. Chalamet, Robert Pattinson, Stan, Collision Course. uh, That's on Friday. It's playing in some theaters ahead of time. We're going to talk about that somehow. Uh, Motherless Brooklyn is playing the Edward Norton movie. I'll be talking about that. I don't think you'll be able to get to that. I also am seeing an early screening of Marriage Story on Friday. So we're going to get that early non-spoiler review out. And Apple TV Plus uh, debuts on Friday. first three episodes of Morning Show and Dickinson and uh, C and For All Mankind. We'll be talking about some of those shows at some time. Um, So keep an eye on that. And overall, the reception has been a bit more mixed than people expected, but we're still pretty interested in the morning show, at least evaluating that for ourselves. So Apple TV plus shows in the future, not immediately. And I'm also going to see Terminator Dark Fate because I've seen all the other ones and I I like Mackenzie Davis. So I'll (laughs) I'll tell you how that went.
0: (laughs) Thank you for your service, Dave. Um, Anyways... We're going to wrap up there. SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. Follow us on YouTube at YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. And also Pod on Twitter. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Peace out.